Good morning, everybody. It's This Week in XR. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with my friend, Ted Chilowitz. And today is June 10th, Ted? It is June 10th. We <laughs> spent a week together at the Augmented World Expo in real life uh, wearing... I'm, I must of... say, you're very charming in person. <laughs> you too, that Charlie. We had a nice week together. Good job. We had a nice week together. It was fun. We did a lot of interesting interviews, a lot of interesting people that were on site and got to see a lot of tech. We uh, uh, put the uh, Mojo um, augmented contact lenses right up to our eye and checked them out. And they are indeed real and they indeed work. So it was very impressive. And uh, today our guest, by the way, is Vicki Dobbs-Beck, who's the executive in charge of ILMX Lab, which made the legendary Vader Immortal and its sequels. So it'll be great to catch up with her. Ted, you remember we were on a panel with her at the Infinity Festival in November. Yeah, Vicky and I have been friends for a long time. I think you and I are both legitimate fans of her and all of the related uh, work and IP that they're doing and exploration and experimentation. So she's always good to talk to. It'll be a good conversation. So, so I'll look, we'll look forward to bringing her in in a few minutes. First of all, this week exceeds only last week in kind of weirdness. Mm. <laughs> Neil Stevenson is launching a new company. Uh, he's got uh, Tony Parisi and Rony Abovitz mixed up with a fellow who I had not previously heard of, Peter Vesnes. Yeah, in the, in the crypto world, right? In yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, so they, they like um, our uh, friends, uh, Matt Meisnikes and company last, and John Guetta, mm -hmm. uh, right before uh, AWE said they too were starting a virtual location company of sorts. And uh, this is what this apparently is, a virtual world or uh, something based on blockchain that um, Neil is gonna build out. Uh, vaguely based on his vision, they posted a bunch of principles like they're gonna be carbon neutral and users will control their data and so forth. So uh, I, I think those things, both in their vagueness <laughs> and their high ideals, uh, without revealing an awful lot, seems similar to me because people are doing a lot of aspirational things now. And uh, I don't think even they are sure of what the final form will be. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think, uh, you know, we're, we're maybe entering the age of uh, utopia and grand vision, um, where people see a lot of potential economic value in putting time and energy into these things. And of course, you know, Neil and I are friendly and, and we talk, you know, on a pretty regular basis, just like Roni, and we're all in this interesting little club together, right? <laughs> so. I'm trying to get Neil to come on the show. So that yeah. would be a great special episode. Yeah, and of course, yeah. Roni will be back because he's, you know, been been angling for that green jacket. He's got to earn his jacket, right? So, uh, <laughs> so have you ever his... heard of Kriata? I have, and I'm trying to remember why I they, have. They were acquired by Meta last year. Right, that's right. Okay, yes. Facebook Gaming is relaunching them uh, as a cloud-based service. And Zuck talked it up yesterday. And of course he mentioned the M word. Mm -hmm. So I have not seen this service. It sounds Roblox-like. Can, can you, do you remember it? Yeah, I do remember it. And that's, uh, you know, you, you caused my memory sort of thinking to go, yeah, Kriyat, I remember there was a sort of, then obviously they just got absorbed into the, the machine and kind of went away. But now it sounds like they're, they're bringing it back to life in some fashion. There's also news around Meta just strategically starting to pull back on a lot of these big sort of announcements that they've made and stuff, trying to kind of figure out what the reality is around what they, what their talking points are. Um, as you know, as, as these other companies like Neil's thing and other are starting to pop up and, and put themselves out into the world. So 
it's a kind of a fascinating time. I was reflecting backwards, like in the days of the earlier versions of the internet and, and major progress points where people saw that this could be something really important. You know, was there a whole bunch of stuff that sprung out around like other things that were kind of like AOL at the time and people that were notable that were trying to pull something off and then it just kind of went by the wayside. Do you remember anything like this? Was well, there another excited, era like this? Excited Home is the biggest example. Excite was an early search engine that yeah. found backing from cable companies who were struggling to understand what the front end of their new high-speed services would be. Mm -hmm. Would it look like AOL? Would it be their AOL? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where Excite got its funding. They were hiring hundreds and hundreds of people in Silicon Valley and really ramping up to be the internet AOL. Right. And I think the whole thing collapsed in the face of Google and soon other services. And they just weren't prepared for that. You know, that came out of nowhere and really just yeah. took it down. It took down Yahoo search. Uh, and I think looking back on it, it was a much bigger event than we thought it was. Mm -hmm. But I think it kind of got them thinking a different way mm -hmm. about what their front end was going to look like. And they held back on the investment. And remember, also 2000 happened. There was a huge dip, which this feels like it might be also. That's kind of my point here. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can take the long view and, and say, well, that enabled a whole new Internet to arise. So uh, we live in interesting times, Indeed. but they, that also means great opportunity and cats jumping on your desk in front of the camera. I shouldn't have said anything because most people are on audio. Uh, let, let's uh, change gears a little bit uh, and talk about um, Inverse. Uh, this is a company that does, they just raised 5 million bucks for holographic conferencing. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is that, uh, you know, you have a, you know, we, we, we also saw this, there, there are a couple of versions of this portal is one. Yes. Uh, there, there was another one at, at eight. At, so and there are several other ones and they use different methods, either a box or uh, absolute black and, and angled glass to make it appear that the speaker on stage is present. We've seen this done uh, with effects and even on television. I believe we took brought um, uh, Puff Daddy or whoever it was that that died. Uh, uh, Tupac. Tupac. Yeah. Tupac. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so, I'm I'm so square and out of it. Okay. Uh, Tupac at Coachella is the reference. So uh, this is clearly, but now they're trying to do it too well. Yeah, that's the yeah. breakthrough. Yeah, so these are these are still largely what we would call bespoke solutions. Uh, now, I'm a big, uh, I'm very bullish on this, and I'm a big protagonist on the fact that we will be moving from two-dimensional video to three-dimensional, truly three-dimensional spatial video in various ways. I've invested in some startups around it. I believe in the thesis, you know, because I come from the camera world and I know what multiple sensors can do. I've seen a lot of very privatized stuff uh, that are building on this thesis of using multiple cameras and being able to track you so that you have the illusion of a holographic experience. There's a number of folks doing that. And then there are these, like you referred to, kind of theme park style effects use cases with uh, what we commonly refer as to various Pepper's Go solutions and foils and backdrop for drop. What's interesting is when you use a game engine in combination with this stuff, you can generate real-time shadows and real-time mm -hmm. sort of back fall off. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what creates the illusion of the of that three-dimensional experience so we we use this term holographic but it's not really 
holographic. The, the folks like uh, Metastage and, you know, the Hype VR stuff and all the things that are actually doing volumetric capture are really on the advent of Right, that. but a real hologram would be not only volumetric capture, but you would view it with your naked eye. Yes, and that's... Impossible. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, there's trickery to it, right? Uh, right, and, well, and it, you could put out a very fine mist Yes. And that's kind of what it looks like in the Star Wars thing. Yes. It's uh, as, as not a complete high-def image, but uh, a, a clearly volumetric presence. Right. And the, and the real practical uh, sort of nomenclature for those in this business, uh, we call them foils. They're actually these very, very thin screens that have a fair amount of transparency, but can actually get a projection image on them. And the illusion done in the right environment, the trick is it has to be done in the right environment. Everything has to be dark around it and the lighting has to be set and the viewing angle has to be correct. You can create a pretty compelling illusion. And there are companies doing this holography in all kinds of different ways. When it gets to video chat, I have definitely seen some things you know, that, that are taking us there, but it's still a little ways out. So, um, you know, my example, I don't know, we talked about this story, I think in 2017 or 2018. Do you remember this story I did on this? Because the University of Washington had put together uh, what was essentially 3D soccer. Mm -hmm. And they did it by using the telemetry of the game and the position of the ball, but using um, essentially puppets or avatars, game avatars, for the players. Right. We were watching a simulation of the game based on the game that's happening in real time. Yeah. And they put it in a tabletop and you could walk around it and it would just pop out and you know the angle would change and there would be shadows. And they were essentially doing real-time rendering of, of a video game where you know the avatars or maquettes being driven by data right. that's coming in from the game because capturing a game metrically, well, well, you and I remember a few years ago intel was trying to do this for the nfl and it was like an army of trucks to capture you know uh, one scene in the end zone yeah yeah that's the what we call the horseshoe effect where you can kind of move around and they're they're actually have, have actually successfully implemented this in various ways we actually were involved in a project uh with the grease ip from paramount that we did uh you probably remember seeing that where you could move around the actors and move around the dancing mm -hmm. it's all you know highly experimental but interesting and and interesting and valuable to bring to festivals and events and show people where the future is headed. It's a big part of what our lives are. It's not mainstream yet, but it will be someday and someone's got to take those steps to get there. Here's, here's a great segue to the new Looking Glass 65 inch display. Yeah. I think yeah. we both saw in a private demo at AWE as well. Uh -huh. uh, the thing is mad expensive, but it's much easier to look at than the small displays. Yeah. My God, seeing a movie on that thing would be mind boggling. Right. So, so, and also it's 8K. Right. And that's so the big, a very, big very expensive pros only TV, but my God, is it cool. Yeah, but but you make you know, you make the point that 8K used to be not only just expensive, but completely out of touch for any normal consumer. Now an 8K television is a high-end luxury item, right? And and the ability to take that 8K array of pixels, split it into two 4K views, and then converge them, you actually get a pretty high-res deliverable on screens that can be almost any size now because you know they're not that expensive. I mean, you're still talking 4X, 5X, what a 4K TV is, but now a 4K TV is a Costco device at two grand, right? So over time, these things get less and less expensive. And I think there's a real future to that. I think the, the idea of glasses 
3, 3D without glasses, which has always been this kind of holy grail that never gets there. We're actually finally at a place where the yeah. technology can deliver on that. And that's, yeah. that's, an, that's an impressive state, state. And it relates to this holography concept because you know, the idea of creating a stereo effect may be the first step to pseudo holography, right? That I, it kind of feels like I'm there with you and it's not two dimensional anymore. So it's an interesting uh, progress bar. So uh, looking less uh, large scale, just 65 inch display is gonna be used at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. Tribeca runs through the 19th. They have a very impressive immersive section that's gonna be available in the museum for other realities. Uh, I think it's it's really cheap. It's like five bucks. If you're yep. doing it online, you need a tethered PC. So good luck to them. I usually am there in person. Uh, it's in New York. And I used to, as you know, Ted, live there. We used to see each other there. Absolutely. Yeah, I have uh, I have some of our team in New York at Tribeca, and I'm actually in Silicon Valley. We're we're this week, so we're splitting up some time. But uh, they'll they'll get a chance to see that stuff in person that you and I saw last week, which is great. Great. I see Vicky is in the green room. Let us bring her in. Nice. Hi there. Hey, Vicki. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. We're rolling now. Excellent. Lovely to see you both. We just dive right in. It's always good to see you. We, we were just mentioning <laughs> that we're big fans of you and all that you are doing. So, oh, well, likewise. <laughs> I, I'm excited to hear what's going on at ILMX Lab and how you've been since we were on stage at the Infinity Festival. Well, it's been a really busy time, um, as you guys well know. Uh, there's been lots of conversation about the metaverse, um, <laughs> and and what's interesting, I think, for us is is that. Um, I, obviously, it means many things to many people, um, but I think for us, it's a lot about connected storytelling. And I think what is the what are the new um, elements of that are one, you know, the um, presence of immersive technology. So there's a new storytelling canvas, literally, that we can take advantage of, and of course, that's what we've been experimenting with since you know um, about 2013 or so. And um, the other thing is sort of looking at the ecosystem of experiences as that, you know, taking a holistic view of experiences across platforms. For us, I think it's going to be, um, it will transcend physical and digital boundaries. So it's not a purely um, digital play. And um, so we've been thinking a lot about that. And uh, we've also been doing a lot of investigation in AR storytelling. Like, what does that look like? What is compelling, especially with an eye toward, you know, glasses, because it will fundamentally change when you're not holding a phone um, in your hand. So I would say it's been kind of a lot of um, experimentation and preparing for the next uh, phase of our, you know, our history, which will be, I think, about, you know, immersive storytelling as it has been, but I just think it's going to um, take on some new dimensions. Yeah. Have you met, have you met Mike White? He's the guy they put in charge of it, yes? Yes, I have. I knew Mike, uh, you know, for, for years, um, and I think he's, you know, really excited, and I think uh, he 
approaches it somewhat similarly to what I was just saying, which is this is really um, a new canvas for storytelling. And you just brought in someone else to work with him that had that was an Apple veteran, right? That was 12 plus years at Apple or so. Yeah, I I actually just read that too. Um, I think his name's Mike um, Bozen. Other Mike, yeah. Yeah, and he came from, uh, yeah, Apple Arcade, I believe. Yeah, so it's good. You guys are making progress, which, you know, we're all ex always excited about to see what's <laughs> on the next couple of corners. So what's interesting here is that Disney is the meta fiction, right? That's the meta story, is the Walt Disney story. And, and from that story, you have different portals right, that you sort of fall into, if you will. So, you know, you can walk into the Marvel universe, you can walk into the Star Wars universe, or, you know, any of these other franchises that the company has developed, uh, you know, around its IP. You know, you could jump right into Little Mermaid and swim under, under the sea. So I, that was always what, that's what I'm picturing, right? The main street where you have all these storefronts, um, you know, and, and sort of you travel there just as you do in the physical place, right? Because Walt Disney was making a virtual world just using the technology they had in 1950s, you know, where we were talking about Pepper's Ghost a few minutes ago before we brought you on and, you know, forced perspectives and the way, you know, things are, you know, Cinderella's Castle, for example, looks huge at the beginning of Main Street. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the windows are tapered to make the street look longer. Uh, and all of those other techniques, in, in addition, of course, to performance. Yeah, I think we're, I mean, I feel really um, privileged to be a part of um, the Disney company, because I do think Disney is uh, perfectly poised to, you know, sort of lead the way in this, um, in this next generation of, of storytelling. And, you know, we talk about story living. Um, it mm -hmm. really is bringing all of these, these, amazing worlds and characters to life in a new and, and um, different way. And again, that's part of why I, I think for Disney, it's going to be not purely digital, um, which I know it is for you know, some of the ways people are approaching the opportunity, they're thinking of it as a digital play. But for us, it's really, it really does take advantage both of, of physical and um, digital spaces. And, and of course, connected storytelling is actually the legacy of Disney. Um, but as I said, I think the new dimensions are gonna be um, immersive storytelling, holistic uh, design so that they connect in a, in a different way. And ideally, you know, your experience in those worlds and with those characters will evolve, which um, as you, you know, as you move across and around the various experiences um, in a way that hasn't been possible before. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting you talk about the connected storytelling and bringing the physical and the digital and together. Um, have you had a chance or have you talked to colleagues that have now started to experience what you're building with this um, pretty exotic, pretty high-end, multi-day uh, Star Wars resort experience where you that's go so, into That's exactly world what Wars? I was thinking of, Ted, because that's an example of story living. Mm -hmm. And apparently people love it. I've heard several, several people say that that was well worth it. I actually have heard the same. I haven't done it. Um, I've talked to people who were involved in creating it. And um, it's really even just the process of creation yeah. is, is fascinating um, because they did. They literally created a living world and everyone has a unique experience. Um, it depends on the choices that they make over the course of the three days. 
and um, their journey defines, you know, how they they felt about it. But what is amazing then is is everybody's talking to one another about what their experience was and how it was the same or different as other people's experiences. And I think that that is like a, there's a other social dimension too. Why don't you just back up a step for the listeners that may not know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, explain okay. where it is, kind yeah. of like what, what, you, what you have to commit to to do it, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's called the Galactic Star Cruiser. It's a multi-day experience. Um, I think it is, it's two nights and, you know, essentially three days. Um, and you are in the world of Star Wars. I mean, you literally, from the time you enter to the time you leave, it is as if you are in Star Wars, not in our world. And as a part of that experience, um, you do go uh, to Galaxy's Edge um, in the parks. So you, you, know, you are experiencing uh, digital, physical, um, connected storytelling over the course of these multi-days. I believe, now I haven't done it, but I believe you, know, you, you can choose how, how deeply you engage or not. But the people that really, um, I think, lean into the idea that you're in Star Wars and now I am a, um, a, a character or a person in that Star Wars world probably have the, the most fun um, experience. But in, in creating it, they really had to think about a, a story, a story world, and again, when I say living world, it means there's multiple, you know, intersecting storylines happening um, throughout that period. That is a that's a monumental task, you know. Really, I, I don't think anything of that scope and scale has ever been done before. And for me, it's like the ultimate um, example of you know immersive uh, storytelling, or as you were saying, story living. Yeah, I think it's you know, one of the right? It's a live act, uh, live action role playing game. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things when we did, you know, our day at, at Galaxy's Edge, which a lot of people now have had a chance to do, and correct me if I'm wrong or if this isn't still holding, but one of the things that I thought was really amazing, and it's a little nuanced thing, but the idea that when you go to the Rise of the Resistance experience, which is unbelievable, there is no physical line. There is no queue line per se. There's a virtual line where you get an indication that it's time for you to go there. So they're keeping you in the world and trying to keep you in this sense that it's not a theme park per se where there's a line. It's an experiential area that is as real as it could possibly be. So by taking the concept of seeing people in the line in that ride away and using digital technology to build upon that, you start to kind of add into that reality and, and maybe that's a nuance and I, I I think it's they're still doing it but I'm just curious if that's correct well I I'm not positive I was just down there for Star Wars celebration and I did do Rise of the Resistance and there was a line mm. um you weren't aware of the line I think from you were aware once you got into the line right there is but, a line um, inside when you're cute but outside yeah. the experience there it's it not like, like a, a normal part line. of the yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that's just fascinating about Galaxy's Edge is, again, um, it's the idea of a living world. And there are, you know, characters from Star Wars that move in through that world. And this funny thing, right, when, um, you know, just before it officially opened, um, we went down there and I forgot to warn my husband that, you know, there was, there is this element of all of these characters that might engage with you, right? So 
he sits down on this, um, at the edge of this fountain. It's a big round fountain and there's nobody else sitting there. And this, this guy, um, you know, dressed up as though he's in Star Wars, sits down right next to him literally right next to him and you know you're kind of, it's like one of those things which why why are they sitting right next to me there's an entire round circle and and he leaned over to Steve and said something about like um I need you to hand this you know off to someone else and and Steve's like I'm I'm sorry um <laughs> and he just he didn't realize and I I afterward I go I I think that that was you know you were being invited to be yeah, a participant a in this um, in this unfolding story, but it was it was really funny. So that piece of it, I think, is quite um, that that I think is a little nuanced, um, as you were saying before. But it really makes that whole world feel like you have left our our world and our galaxy, and you have gone to a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Well, and I think the, the most like important part of what you're talking about broadly is that Imagineering is a living, breathing thing at Disney. It is kind of this DNA core that gives the time and the breath to experiment with things many times for years and years before it will ever yeah. see the light of day. And a lot of things that won't actually see the light of day or morph into other things that see the light of day. But just that, that sort of understanding of the Disney logic of build it, see if it works, see if it resonates, see if it creates enchantment and then bring it out. I think Disney probably does that better than, than anybody because they've built it into the core of their company's values, right? Like to try these things. And, and you have a whole division of the company that, that does that. I, you know, I, I think I'm obviously not alone in having huge admiration for um, Walt Disney Imagineering. And in fact, in many ways, they're an inspiration for us at ILMX Lab because we are um, we are trying to do the same thing um, to an extent, which is really experimenting to create first of kind experiences using um, immersive technologies. One of the interesting things that we did um, is we made a conscious choice early on uh, when we were founded in you know 2015 to almost experiment in public, meaning that we share our experiments. Um, with the community, with the industry. And we did that because we felt that it was such a new space that it would be good to um, have a conversation and to be able to, to learn from one another. And that is a little bit different than Imagineering, right? Because Imagineering, to your point, they, they come up with these ideas, they might um, develop and bake them for years before they ever see um, the, the light of day. Um, so it's almost a new flavor of Imagineering, sort of like your flavor. Of I hope, I'd, love to, I'd love to be that. Imagineer. <laughs> virtual reality Imagineer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Amazing. Virtual yeah. Imagineers. <laughs> so what can we talk about that you're working on? You mentioned you were doing things with AR, thinking about AR. What, what can you tell us about what's coming up from ILM X Lab? Um, well, unfortunately, I can't say very much about um, what we're working on. Um, but I can speak a little bit more generally about things we're interested in. And, you know, we have always, um, we've always tried to work both in location-based entertainment and, and home, in-home experiences, and, and they offer different opportunities for storytelling. Um, <laughs> before we had, you know, the Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, 
location-based entertainment tended to be, um, you know, you could deal with scope and scale. You weren't um, beholden to consumer hardware, et cetera. So you could do things you can't do in the, um, in the home. But in the home, you of course have the opportunity for extended engagement, right? You can spend many, many hours, um, you know, ex experiencing stories. So we will, I think we will continue to be interested in both of those um, mm -hmm. spaces. So in home yeah. and um, in locations. The other thing that I think is really, really interesting is um, what we call next-gen film and streaming, right? What do these technologies mean for, um, for theatrical or television experiences? And, you know, we, we have shared in the past, um, we try to do one of the ways, you know, one of the tools I guess we use for experimentation is visualization, right? Just doing quick, um, it's sort of crude um, oftentimes, but that you still get the the understanding of what the aspiration um, might be. So early on, we did some um, experiments and, and visualizations that we, we shared about using these technologies uh, with theatrical experiences. So let, let's back up then. If we can't talk about the future, let's talk about the projects that are out there today. Okay. Um, I show my, I always show my class Vader Immortal because it continues to be really the first and only example of uh, inhabiting a movie as a character. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have to structure the situations very specifically for characters that talk to you, but you don't need to respond. But clearly that's going to change. In fact, there was technology at AWE that, you know, showed how AI could have a quote-unquote conversation with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so Vader Immortal, very, very important uh, VR experience. But as you say, experimental in many ways, the first of its kind, uh, you know, leaving a lot of room for perfection. So I'm interested how it's perceived by you and the team that worked on it inside of ILMX Lab. What is the general consensus of what worked? But also, how do you feel it can be improved other than with maybe AI characters? Well, I, I'm really proud of Vader Immortal. I'm proud of it for a lot of different reasons. One was it was a huge leap of faith um, in many, many different ways. You know, we had to innovate in almost every regard in order to, to create that. And, and we had a really great um, partner in Oculus, you know, now Meta. Um, MetaQuest, but it, it, they too took a leap of faith with us because it was really immersive storytelling at its core as opposed to being a game. And, and everybody, I think, intuitively felt that, that the early adopters of these um, devices were going to likely be avid gamers. So I, I was proud of it just for, for it actually coming to life, but I'm also quite proud of the, um, the end result. And one of the things that um, happened in that process and we learned along the way, we started by, um, we started by thinking that you were gonna be an observer, um, that the story was gonna unfold around you and that you <laughs> were essentially a ghost. And one of the things we, we realized is because we were developing everything, you know, in, in CG and in real time there, we really weren't taking advantage of the opportunity for interactivity. And we realized that 
the difference between an experience in VR and, and watching a movie, for example, is, is that this is your story. And um, you know, even though Darth Vader was like this, probably the most iconic character in the Star Wars universe, um, the, the journey was really important and your unfolding relationship with Vader um, was what made it very special. So we, we learned that in the midst of development and uh, we did a test actually, because we knew that it was going to be really, really important to be able to connect with Vader, feel like he was really with you and in, in your um, that you were together in that world. And so it the test actually is largely in the final product, which was the scene where um, you're in the cell and the door opens at the far end and um, Vader walks toward you. And, and it's like that heavy breathing and the footfalls and, and he comes up and he looks direct, directly at you, which, which he can do, right? Which we can um, make happen in, in VR. And in the original test, um, David Goyer had written some dialogue and he, he delivered the dialogue, but nobody heard it because they were so overwhelmed right. with his presence that, um, that I, th I think that was, it was more than they could um, absorb. So that for us really reconfirmed that this was, um, that you could have a connection with characters in, in VR. Um, you know, our team comes from uh, a history with ILM and Skywalker Sound. So, you know, they're always visually, we would will constantly want to push the boundaries there, especially as the um, tech uh, advances. We want to make it as close to cinematic as, as possible. And I, and I think that we did a good job working within the limitations of the, the device. Um, what was one of the things that's interesting about it, and I don't know if it's, I don't know exactly what to take away from it, um, but, you know, the story was so important to us that uh, we we treated the experience not like a traditional game. Like you couldn't die, you couldn't um, you couldn't get stuck. You would literally fail through if if that happened. And my personal opinion is is that um, VR is only beginning to reach a broader audience, that there's a much broader audience that will be interested in VR over time. But they may be the kind of people who, um, rather than you know, spending all their time um, playing games, might, might be the ones that are uh, watching television or film, but, but are a little bit more you know, tech forward. And so I think there's a whole, I would like to more deeply explore what, um, the next evolution of an, an experience like Vader is um, for that audience. Because one of the things I had to personally learn is don't, I, I just stopped reading all the reviews. I mean, we got, we got great reviews um, overall, but there were some people who, who approached it as though their expectations were for a game. So it was too short. Yeah. It was, um, they didn't like the fact that you, you know, that you couldn't die um, things like that. And so, I think you have to, at some point, be clear on your audience and who it is that you're creating this experience for and design accordingly. The, uh, you followed it up, interestingly enough, with a game. Yeah. 
we and and so it is interesting because we if if you think about it you know if there's a spectrum right and you know linear entertainment's on one end of the spectrum and a triple a game is on the other end of the spectrum i'd say we tend to work in the first you know in the half between linear entertainment and halfway down the other and definitely tales from the galaxy's edge was edging more in the direction um of a game and we we really wanted to um we wanted to see what that you know what that kind of um, experience offered us from a storytelling and an experiential perspective. Um, as you know, the the purpose of that um, project was to extend the world of um, Galaxy's Edge and Black Spire Outpost. It was to to uh, enable you to go beyond the boundaries of um, Black Spire Outpost and experience the wilds of Batu. Because there was a whole amazing um, wealth of of story and thought that had been given to the whole planet, not just not just the part that was built out. And one of the things that obviously VR offered is the ability to um, create things that couldn't be done, uh, you know, for reasons of laws of physics or cost or both. Um, and so, for example, we had an um, a Jedi temple, uh, and the th that just could never have. I don't think it could have cost effectively ever been built at that scope and scale. And then we were also able to, um, you know, deal with it in two different time frames uh, in the present and, and then in the past. The other thing we tried to do with that project um, is we were trying to sort of thread the needle between um, almost mission-based experiences and what we were calling legends, which were more story-driven um, and I think it was just a really interesting approach to try to do both. I mean, it really was a sort of a living world and, um, you could experience story through the legends and you could experience more traditional, um, almost game-like missions, uh, but both were included in the experience. And the thing I liked about the thing I learned there was it was a really interesting device to be able to, Cecil Slack was the bartender, you know, that the cantina was sort of the hub. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the, you know, the, the story uh, was that this is a little bit of the dive bar in comparison to Oga's Cantina, which is down in Galaxy's Edge and highly successful. But Cecil Slack was your, um, your transition into the legends. And because, he was in essence telling you these stories, which you were then experiencing firsthand. It allowed us to um, to deal with different time uh, timelines. You know, within the Star Wars universe, we didn't have to stay in the present. We could because it was, it could have been a legend about the past, and it also allowed us to um, play a little bit with tone. Um, because again, it was a legend and they were almost discreet inside of this, this larger experience. So I really, um, I really learned a lot from just thinking about it in that way. Like, how do you create, how do you develop creative constructs that give you that kind of freedom and yet still feel authentic to, um, to Star Wars and, and to the universe? Wow. Well, that was a, a very, very interesting discourse. Thank you so much. <laughs> Things we did not know 
about uh, Star Wars and the challenges of developing it. Um, but I, I expect we'll probably see, given the success of those titles, hopefully we'll be seeing more of them in the future. Because I do think uh, Star Wars, especially among all of the IP that Disney controls, it is the one where you know who you are, you know where you are, and you know basically what you're gonna do there. So, you know, no one has to explain the Alliance to them. No one has right. to explain the Empire. All of that is, you know, because there's nothing worse than, than explaining this and especially yeah. explaining something complicated. I think if there was a, a critique I would have of Vader Immortal is that it was a little hard to follow the backstory of what happened to the people and yep. the queen and the diamond. And, you know, even there, it wasn't you weren't asking a whole lot. But it is asking a whole lot if you're not familiar with the world and that sort of style of, of storytelling. In other words, that's the kind of story that takes place in the universe uh, of Star Wars. Yeah, as we know, the story canon matters a lot, right? So, so right. when people come to it with expectations, as you mentioned, Vicky, you can get lots of positive comments and you can also get a lot of criticism because everyone has built-in expectations of what their version of this should be. And if it doesn't hit on all marks, it, you know, people get, get frustrated, but there's lots of different audiences. And you're, you're absolutely right that the, the biggest part of the audience in the growth perspective is not the hardcore gaming folks that expect these kind of gaming mechanics and these kind of gaming sophistication. That's a well-known um, you know, area and a, and a well-known customer, but the growth areas are outside of that, right? So that's right. kind of what we're, we're, we're both on the same page there. Absolutely. There's, there's a very successful Star Wars uh, game on PC, which is a flight sim, a space flight simulator. So that's really for hardcore gamers. A regular person would, you know, the acquisition of mastery would completely drive them mad. Uh, so there's plenty know, of that in, in traditional platforms, right? Yeah, there's a yeah. big audience that comes to Quest for the first time and they're not gamers. And, uh, and I think that's what makes the Star Wars so welcoming. Well, I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting is the more there's gesture based, um, uh, you know, where you can without you don't need a controller where you can actually do things with your hands. So it's more intuitive. So I'm always mm -hmm. intrigued when I watch someone who hasn't done um, VR before. And sometimes like we had a demo that only required you to have a controller in one hand. And they inevitably want to grab things with the hand that doesn't have the controller in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and you know, again, myself not being a gamer, anytime you have to start using all kind, you know, you have to use all of the um, different buttons, etc. It's just a little, um, it's just a little bit of a barrier for it's people friction, that aren't right? used to it. Friction. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you. It can take you out of the experience when you have to focus on the mechanics of what do I need to do next. And right. for, for all of us as, as storytellers first, you're trying to remove those, those elements. You're trying to make it feel very natural, things you would just do with your eyes and your hands and your body language. And those cue points of, of characters in virtual reality reacting to you without you having to push a button to make that work adds to the magic of it. It feels more real. And that's kind of why it's what you're doing is pretty valuable. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. I know we're 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 spending a lot of time. This you 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 have to be one of our regular guests. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know we, our half hour went by like that. Yeah, we can't go through everything. Question. It takes too long. Yeah, so well, it's always very fun. All right, great. Well, we'll have to. It's taken us six months to schedule this, 
So hopefully it won't take us six months before we see you again in the real. Vicki Dobbs-Beck, head of ILMX Lab. Thanks for spending time with us this morning and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye.